Jacob Deshazer was a was a man who served in World War II on a bomber in the Pacific Theater. He was shot down and then spent 40 weeks in a POW camp, during which time he saw his fellow prisoners killed, himself facing countless torture, beating, lack of food, hunger. During that time, Jacob knew a man who was a, a believer, and, and this, this person always had impressed him. And one day, this friend of his died. And he died with, with such a peace, he couldn't kind of imagine. And so, in some, some way, he obtained a Bible and read it and was changed. And on June 8th, 1944, he read Romans 10, verse 9, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now he said that God gave me new spiritual eyes, so that when I looked at the Japanese officers and guards who had starved and beaten me and my companions so cruelly, I found my bitter hatred for them changed to loving pity. In Christ, his heart changed. And, and this is something so core to Christianity of, of how God's forgiveness changes our outlook in every way. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God does this and changes not only our hearts through the power of the Spirit, but changes our attitudes toward everyone, even those who are our bitterest of enemies and those who frustrate us because they didn't move fast enough in the parking lot. <laughs> Today, we're going to talk about sin, forgiveness, and reconciliation in this text 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 to 13, and apply it to our lives. And we're going to learn four things. And, and I, every time I get to the topic of forgiveness, I, I, I tread a little bit lightly because I think a lot of the teaching on forgiveness in the church is not wrong, but misses key points and misunderstands what the Bible has said because a worldly and therapeutic model of forgiveness has taken over what was intended for the church to not just help people feel good about themselves, but to restore broken relationships. So four things. Number one, we have to see that sin breaks relationships. Second, unrepentant sinners cannot be restored. Third, 
The goal of forgiveness is a restored relationship. And fourth, Satan's trap is unforgiveness. So first, Satan, uh, first sin and Satan breaks relationships, but sin breaks relationships. Now, the Bible does not conceive of forgiveness primarily happening in our heart, but in the actions between people. And this gets important. Oh, man, I'm getting off my notes already. I said, Matt, don't get off your notes, but I'm going to get off my notes. And this is so key when you start to read things like in the Lord's Prayer right at the end. It's like the next line is, if you do not, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart... Like, you're not going to get forgiveness. And it doesn't mean there that if you die and you have some, like, feeling in your heart about, oh, man, I just, like, really am angry at this person. That doesn't mean that you are lost forever. This is not what it's talking about. What it means is if your brother who has sinned against you comes and says, man, I'm really sorry. And at that point, you're like, no, you're still gone. I, if you have that kind of haughty attitude toward the repentant, like you're not saved. That's what it's talking about, not just your feeling, okay? And we'll get into that as we go. All right, rant over. Now, where was I? <laughs> now, your heart, like when I say it's not like totally wrong, it just doesn't go far enough. Your heart is where forgiveness must begin. You must forgive your brother. Literally, it says you must forgive your brother from your heart, but it can't end there. It must end in reconciliation un unless the other party prevents it. Which is why when you get all these verses, it says pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him that kind of repent that kind of forgiveness is like means restored relationship and that is conditional upon the sinner repenting now first you got to notice in this text it says brother and this is in the context of of the church people that you have some relationship with and it assumes that in this context you are going to be moving toward reconciliation. Now, it does have much to say about our relationship with just like the guy who cut us off in the street. But more generally, when the Bible talks about how we deal with people outside the church or maybe even enemies, it doesn't talk about forgiving our enemies. It talks about something broader, which is loving our enemies. And sometimes I think people confuse those two things. Love is something that you can have for someone regardless of where they are at and what they're doing. Reconciliation takes relationship. So in this, it says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And that first line, like rebuke him, like, man, it's like that kind of like, man, I really, I really don't like the whole rebuking thing. You know why? Because I tend to be a person who needs to get rebuked quite a bit. <laughs> the fact that like, I, I, I sin and I make mistakes and people are like, oh, people, they don't do this a lot and usually they're a little shy, but well, some people do. The people who know me really well, they're like, man, like that, like you're, you're like totally wrong about this. <laughs> and that doesn't feel good because usually like, you're told, I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm the pastor. I'm like practically perfect. Haven't you heard what other people said? <laughs> I just got, like, they just passed my ordination exam. Like, oh, well, I'm going to be reverend pretty soon. Um, but no, <laughs> in that moment, 
Like if I am going to be a Christian to what I'm called to, I need to humble myself and realize that they're saying this for my good and say, oh man, like I really did kind of mess up here. And then they can, if he repents, and she's like, oh yeah, get. And then when that happens, boom, relationships can be restored. Now that gets shortcutted in a bunch of ways, and we'll talk about that as we go on. Now, Jesus calls us to call out people in sin. And there are two big reasons that Jesus calls us to rebuke, and it's two, twofold. First is that sin is dangerous. Like sin draws us away from God. It breaks our relationship with God. There's a reason why it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Like sin is a dangerous thing that we should not be dwelling in. Secondly, sin breaks our relationships with others. And, and, and we know this, like people sin against us and it, and it hurts and these things build up. And if you, and the, this happens so often, if you just be like, okay, I am just going to deal with this in my own heart. I'm not going to say anything. And it goes on. You'd be like, I'm just going to deal with this with God. And it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Eventually something breaks. Something snaps when we don't tell people how they have hurt us. Now, the, because the first step to reconciliation is lovingly communicating our hurts to the one who hurt us. Okay. Maybe I want to speak just like to husbands here just for a second, because in my, like in my experience, this is something that husbands do just really poorly. It's like, Hey, you know, lovingly communicate your hurts. Don't just get mad or ignore your wife or, or like try to like communicate non-verbally, like say the thing that's bothering you. Then you can talk about it and work through it. Again, mind reading, not a thing. <laughs> now, I just, just like, as, as soon as I said, like, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Like, there are lots of things that we should totally just ignore and get over. Things that aren't a big deal. And the, the lens for whatever we say, we put it through the Ephesians 4.29 lens. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, we put that through the lens, so if you're going to say anything, make sure it fits all those criteria. Now, this doesn't preclude saying things that are going to hurt people, because giving grace sometimes means pointing out sin so that the people know, know what is right, so they can live in the grace of God as they are called. Okay, so with all of this, back to Corinth. In Corinth, a relationship has been broken. Starting in verse 5, Paul says, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Okay, there's like so much subtext going on right here that we have to like think about a little bit. So first he says, Now if someone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me. So, what does that mean that he caused not to me? And we have to think about this a little bit. When you say, well, it's not, it's not to me, but it's to everybody. That probably means that the problem here is actually to Paul. Like, like 
It seems, and this is a little bit speculative, but I think it's right, that at some point in the ministry of Paul to the Corinthians, someone issued a pretty scandalous insult to Paul, either in person or either in the congregation, in some way that was public and unavoidable so that actions had to be taken. Serious actions. Serious actions had to be taken so that the punishment by the majority, and, and this, is, this is really interesting, the majority here, the fact that it says the majority is interesting. Like what is the majority in this context? So this person was punished in some way because he caused Paul pain and which caused everyone pain because Paul is their apostle and, and insulting him. It's just like if someone, if someone insulted the, the church or to me in some way, it would be insulting to everyone here. And you, you, would, you guys would probably feel that maybe, hopefully. Stand up with me. And same way, somebody insulted Paul, and they all feel it, and then they took action as a church, and I think they took the action pretty straightforwardly from what Jesus' words about how to deal with sin in church, Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Man, man, that's, again, that again. Between you and him alone, you and him alone? And I always say, but, but when somebody sins against me, I don't like to go talk to them. I want to go talk to my friends and get a whole clique together and just gossip about and hope it filters back to them at some point. But Jesus apparently has different ideas. Okay. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, this is for two reasons, both to have people to impress to them the seriousness or sometimes you're like man this is a problem you go to them you can't solve it. you go to somebody else and they're like hmm maybe you need to pray about this thing a little more but then if he refuses to listen to them tell it to the church and if he refuses to listen even to the church let him be to you as a gentile and a tax collector. Now, the reminder here is Gentile and tax collector does not mean someone that we're like, oh, we're like mean to them. This isn't shunning. This means that they are outside of deepest Christian fellowship. Paul says not even to eat with such a one, which I think means not to take part in the Lord's Supper with such a one. Now, in this church, if this happened to you, if you were like, like removed from fellowship in such a way and all of these things happened, you would still be welcome to come to church. You'd be still greeted. You would still, like, like, you would still be welcome here, but you wouldn't be welcome to take part as a believer, just as someone from the outside would come in and take and, 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 be, and be among us, but not with us. This, uh, there's this old Puritan, it's sort of this old Puritan manual about how to do church discipline. And the line at the end is that when someone is removed from fellowship, it says, we can no longer call you brother, so we must call you friend. Which is chilling and a little beautiful, but I think it gets to the spirit and the spirit which we will move into as we go through the rest of this text. Uh, the majority here, I think, refers to the whole church. 
that this person ended up in this dispute, ended up going before the whole church, and the, the majority decided, like, yes, we're going to take this step, is no longer going to be in close fellowship with us. And this is what happens. Sin breaks relationships. Sometimes with big consequences, sometimes with little consequences that add up. It breaks things with each other and ultimately with God. Now, this man, as we're going to see, was repentant, but we should know unrepentant sinners cannot be restored. Unrepentant sinners cannot be restored to God. Like every person, every person who comes by the power of Jesus Christ to leave behind their sin and join with Christ finds forgiveness. But people who don't come in repentance to Jesus Christ don't find forgiveness. If you're a man who beats his wife, you cannot expect forgiveness to reconciliation around here or up there. And the same thing goes for unrepentant gossips and slanderers. But as we go this, let's get back to the text. And Paul wants them to know that church discipline and even rebuke between people, because church discipline is just the extension of all of the things that happen between individuals. It's actually the same thing, just writ large. Like there's no, because church discipline isn't like church with the structure, but it's church as the people. So ultimately, like nobody can get kicked out of church by me. I don't have that power. It says the church has that power. That's the majority. That's it. Um, we are not out to have a pound of flesh, but we do desire that everyone live according to God's plan. And so the goal of forgiveness is a restored relationship. First, we said we receive forgiveness from God to have a restored relationship with God. And then forgiveness with each other means restored relationship. Biblical forgiveness is not primarily about what happens on the inside, but what happens between you and God, you and others, you and the church. Biblical forgiveness is about restoring relationships. We know this first with God, and this is for every person, that every person who in Jesus' name comes for forgiveness, saying that, Lord, I have done wrong, Lord, please forgive me. When they come with a humble and repentant heart, what do they get? They get forgiveness and reconciliation and eternal life, no matter what they have done, no matter how many times that they have done it. And so there is always hope for forgiveness. But that hope comes through repentance and not apart from it. Biblical forgiveness is about you and your spouse. It's not just letting go of hurts, but clearly speaking when there's been a problem. And clearly hearing and repenting when you have sinned against someone so that relationships can move forward. And this gets to, like, I think the biggest problem that we find maybe in, like, the, in our culture today, especially in Canada, because what happens more than anything else is that we get hurt in some way, and instead of listening to Jesus' advice, go to the person, 
we do one of two things. We close our heart off in some way to be like, this hurt, I am not going to feel as deeply in this relationship. I mean, that's a bad thing when it happens in, in marriage and happens between friends. This is why people get isolated. Or two, they remove themselves from the hard situation. They just leave. This is, I think, part of why we have such a loneliness epidemic. Because people haven't leaned into the thing that's hard in the short term, but yields fruit. Biblical forgiveness, the pattern leans in and doesn't close off. And there's a lot of people here today who have closed off parts of their heart because it's just been easier. And, and what I just sort of, my plea is to just like, Open it up, and, and you know, like you know, I'm going to go like 100% into this. Like, open it up in little ways to the people who you're closest to, so that you can express the ways that you have been hurt. And we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit moves and that people listen, so there can be repentance, forgiveness, and restoration of relationship, so that we grow closer. And not just kind of slowly move apart or slowly close our heart off. Now, there's a huge danger in this. There's a huge danger in this. Because I can promise you, opening up your heart is going to lead you to more pain. 100%. Like, it's, it's, it's going to happen. But it's the only way. It's the only way that we can lean into deeper relationships with our friends, our spouses, and our church as a whole so that we can be the people God calls us to be. Yeah. Now, the beautiful news. With all of that, and they did all of this hard work. They actually like, you know, barred this guy from the Lord's Supper and he felt, it's like, he over, it says that he wouldn't have excessive sorrow, but he had sorrow, he had sorrow. And Paul's like, now, like this guy has changed church when people have changed, open up your heart to them so that you should turn. So turn, so they were going in one direction of the church. Don't turn around to one, forgive. Forgive just means to let go of something. And this, this actually, this word is different than the normal word for forgive. And it has to do with, uh, it's more than just letting go, but it really gets to like a change of attitude, like a change of, a change of heart towards them, that they be favorably disposed. It's actually built off the same root word as, Greek, uh, as grace, but you get, yeah, it's just word nerd stuff. Um, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. Second Corinthians, this is the epistle of comfort. And it's like, it's not just that you let go of some hurt in your heart and sit in your pew, but that you comfort, which means you go to be with them, you go to meet their needs, you go to care, opening up your heart to their needs. Finally says, so I beg you to reaffirm your love for him and it's kind of kind of beautiful because like this is very like i beg you to reaffirm your love for him. it's very like a formal way of speaking and so just like they the majority like removed them he says no like now like you have to restore it in the same way so just like you know, jesus you know peter denied jesus three times and then jesus was like you know 
restored him by asking to love him like later on, in the same measure that you remove this person or cut them out, you need to bring them in by reaffirming your love publicly, I think that's the implication, publicly to that person so that when they were stood up before the congregation and be like, you aren't part of us, now all of you need to stand up and say, yes, we love you. You are part of us. You are included. Now, this gets to us in every situation. Again, church is just an extension of the whole. Is that when we've been deeply hurt and sometimes things spill out and, and we maybe have to distance ourselves, when there is true repentance, we need to bring them back close to our heart in the same or even more measure than we had had to push them out. Um, my time, oh yeah, I'm not gonna get into the whole thing, but, but there's, repentance does look differently in different situations, we should add, in that in some situations, I was thinking, I, I already brought up like abuse, like abuse, repentance may look, have a lot longer kind of, said punishment, before restoration might be possible, and there's lots of like wisdom to go along with that, but we won't get into it. The goal of forgiveness is to restore the relationship. They need to reaffirm their love for them. And then, for this is why I wrote that I may test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. And biblical obedience isn't just do this, but it's about loving, forgiving, and comforting in the measure God calls us to. Anyone whom you forgive, that's a weird way to translate that. It's like, it, it, this anyone here refers to the person uh, and anyone that the person we're talking about whom you forgive I also forgive what I have forgiven if I have forgiven anything it has been for your sake in the presence or in the face of Christ Paul again accepts the church's church's decision to forgive this person which he is calling them to and saying hey i know you're going to be obedient and he says as you're obedient i also forgive this wrong that i believe was done to him and finally he says if i've forgiven anything it has been for your sake in the presence of christ which is just a reminder here talking of forgiveness that christ really has commanded us in the most stringent of terms for if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. If the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ rests on us, we will not be like the unforgiving servant, but we will overflow in generosity, love, and comfort, working towards what is best for those when they are open to restore relationship. And finally, Satan's trap is unforgiveness. It says, all of this you got to do so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or his, his trap, his plan. And so you got to ask, like, what is Satan's plan in this situation? S Satan's plan is to in the church's zeal for holiness to forget restoration. Like unforgiveness 
is such a serious thing. Like this is, this is part of Satan's work and it happens in churches. The churches become so caught up with how they're living their, <clears throat> their fine lifestyle that they forget that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ not only saves us, but continues all the way down. And even when the frustrating person they've worked with has fallen off the wagon into drugs or alcohol 99,000 times, and they come back, that you still have a heart open to forgive the truly penitent. This is also our yearly reminder about what Satan's plans really are. Now, Satan does scary things. He does evil things. And it is like the season of October 31st. We celebrate his Reformation Day. And while Satan does evil and spooky things, it's part of his playbook, but it's not the only part. Paul says we are not ignorant of his designs. A lack of grace, love, and forgiveness is a far bigger threat to our church than Ouija boards and witches. Because only one of these things can wrap itself in a veneer of religiosity, but in the end is nothing but a whitewashed tomb. Don't fall into Satan's trap. So, sin breaks relationships. Unrepentant sinners cannot be restored. The goal of, unless they repent, you should probably have. <laughs> the goal of forgiveness is a restored relationship and Satan's trap is unforgiveness. If there's one thing to this sermon that we need to grasp onto is that we can offer far more than the world's therapeutic forgiveness of letting go of hurts just in our hearts. Because we can't merely withdraw when we are hurt, but we must lean in to relationship in the hope of Jesus Christ restoring. We must graciously confront the corrosive power of sin in the hearts of others and ourselves, all the while aiming at a restored relationships where our hearts can be grown instead of being cut off from each other. And this brings us back to Jacob Deshazer, the man who found Christ amidst the beatings. You know, it's funny, he went back, he found this peace and forgiveness, went back to America, but he didn't stay there. He went to Bible college and he said, you know where I'm gonna go? I'm going to go back to Japan. Like, it's like, maybe not the best advice from the, from the psychiatric doctor. It's like, you know, the PTSD here. It's like, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm going to go back to tell my story. And the story of, for, of finding forgiveness in his heart toward his captors came to a man by the name of Mitsio Fukuda, I'm saying it terribly, sorry, Japanese people, please forgive me. He heard about Jacob's story and he was so moved that he got a Bible himself and he read Luke 23, 35, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He said, I was impressed that I was certain, I was certainly one of those for whom Jesus prayed. The many men I had killed have been slaughtered in the name of patriotism, for I did not understand the love which Christ wishes to implant in every heart. 
Right at that moment, I seemed to meet Jesus for the first time. I understood the meaning of his death as a substitute for my wickedness. And so in prayer, I requested Jesus to forgive my sins and change me from a bitter, disillusioned ex-pilot to a well-balanced Christian with purpose in living. When we do not merely withdraw content with God's grace to give us freedom, but enter boldly into the world, everything changes. Let's pray.